Hello. Welcome to another episode of 2030 with Sisikumi. Um, today, we have Dr. Ibrahim Abiri, or more correctly, Dr. Dr. Ibrahim Abiri. Um, is a senior colleague that I have never met, but I feel like I've known for almost three years now, and it's been really helpful. And I'm sure like this podcast is going to be helpful for a few people out there. And interestingly, is also our very first new guest. So, um, Dr. Apioye, um, can you introduce yourself? Thanks for me. Um, my my name is Ibrahim, and I am a medical doctor. I, I train as a medical doctor in Nigeria at Lasso, and I work in clinical medicine for a couple of years and then transitioned to public health. And since then, I have worked mostly in public health research. And now, so I did public health research for a couple of, for a number of years, so maybe about, about a decade. And now I have transitioned again to industry. So that's, that's really me. Right now, I'm medical director at Genentech. I work in medical affairs. I'm helping to bring life-saving medicines to patients who need them. Um, what else? Mm, I think that sums up your career life. Oh, yeah, you yeah. lost something else <laughs> that's not career-related. Yeah, okay, not career-related. Um, I am married with kids. I have three kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not really have hobbies. Um, <laughs> I, um, on the side, I help to lead Stats Clinic, um, mm-hmm. and, and that ends up being much, much of what I spend a lot of my free time on developing coursework, uh, managing, um, just coordinating the classes and making sh- and helping people to learn. And I, I enjoy it. I feel like it's, uh, it's almost enough of an hobby for me. Um, there's other things that I like to do. So, uh, spend quite a bit of time at the gym now or like previously um i like to walk outside um uh, i used to be a karateka but not anymore i haven't (laughs) i I haven't been in a karate dojo in a very long time you know so yeah anyway so that's me Mm. all right nice actually i have a few things i want to ask but i think one thing that popped up in my mind just denerding me you, you mentioned you spent about a decade in public health but now you're in industry can you just shed a bit more light on like what that's about or a bit of a difference between both yeah so in public health research uh, you know public health is primarily do good uh, uh, approach it's you're trying to improve people's lives and there is no interest in profit or in, uh, yeah, there's no interest in profit. You don't typically have a product that you're trying to sell. Um, so it, in when I worked in public health research, as well as now, I did research both sides. And I use the same tools, right, um, helping to lead clinical trials, helping to lead population studies. But now I do it in support of, a drug that's on the market, right? Mm. I'm helping to improve the evidence to support that drug, right? So if clinicians have some questions about um, 
some part of the effectiveness, some group of patients that they're wondering whether will benefit. It might be, say, pregnant women, for instance, and there's not enough data in pregnant women. And so the question might be, what can we do? What kind of studies can we do to help provide data in pregnant women for this drug, right? Um, but that's completely different from in public health research where, and, and you know, in public health research, when I worked in public health research, it was mostly with an academic focus as well. So that's also kind of different in the sense that you could completely conceive of an idea as long as you could fund it, you know, you're trying to build on the evidence base and improve upon the evidence base with no interest in, there's no agenda, right? You're not trying to, there's no, when I mean agenda in this state, there's no for-profit agenda. You're not trying to support a product. You're not trying to prevent, you're not trying to present data to the FDA or to any um, agency like a payer so that they can pay for your medicines. Instead, here you're trying, you're looking at, the, the evidence base as far as, say, iron status, for instance, and you're thinking, oh, maybe we need to know more about iron in pregnant women, or maybe there's this group of pregnant women, say sickle cell disease patients, for instance. Uh, right now, we, we don't usually give them iron, or maybe there's some way for us to give them iron safely, that kind of thing. So those kinds of questions, you will be able to go to town however you like in in public health research in academia, right? And you don't really care um, about using it to support any specific product, right? Mm -hmm. Like in industry. So now that's really the key difference, I would say. Ultimately, a reason the same things, you know, it's just a shift in the mindset. Mm. All right, yeah. thank you. Thanks for that. So let's get a bit less fancy and okay. so um i know just before we got on we we're talking about our days and how it's been just once as how's your day generally been today like did anything interesting happen maybe at work or while you're taking the work i don't know if you're able to work in this way that or... <laughs> no today so I, I don't typically work in in the winter, um, I'm very lazy as far as cold is concerned. Um, I instead, so what I've been doing this this um, season is basically going to the gym more often. Uh, mm. You know, I didn't go today. I haven't gone in a few days. So, but today, I what I did today was more like personal family time. I took my kids to see the doctor just for like their annual physical. You know, so it was, it was kind of just a routine conversation with a doctor kind of thing. Um, so, you know, yeah. one interesting thing, found out that the doctor lives in our area. And so that kind of changed the way the conversation went. You know, um, now the history that she's taking is more like focused. So when she's asking the kids about their like their life, their middle school. She apparently she went to the same school oh. that kids are going to, you know. So That's so the questions, yeah. So the questions were kind of different. Like she's asking stuff like, Oh, what class are you? So it's not not just, oh, I mean, eighth grade is also which particular cluster are you in, you know, which classes do you like? That you know, there's a more 
it was interesting to just sit down and watch, you know, for, as someone who didn't go to that school, you know. Um, but I think that it really put the kids at ease and, and they, they really had a good time, uh, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's really the key thing that's happened to me today. And then I came back and uh, got back to work, attended a couple of meetings, um, some of them fun, some of them contentious, which is usual, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Meeting, meetings can be a bit... Let's let's not go there right now. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, as you know, like we're talking about your thirties and um, just how they've been generally. So I just have um one or two questions that I would ask and would see how we get into it. Okay. So, how how would you in general how would you say your thirties were? Like, I know you're on the fourth floor right now. <laughs> sorry for putting your age out there. Well, how how do you say your thirties were um, in terms of um, let's I don't know where we want to focus on now, maybe career wise or just life generally, because I, I I don't see how we can fully separate career from family. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think my my thirties were really interesting in the sense that. The, the 10 years were very, very busy and very, very like different. Each year was kind of different in some way. Um, in the big, where, where I was 30, which was like um, a little over a decade ago, I would say, I was living in Tanzania. And, you know, I, I was getting to the point, I'd lived in Tanzania for a couple of years by that time. And I was getting ready to to kind of leave mentally, at least, you know. So it felt like, okay, now I'm trying to figure out my next steps. I was beginning to get to that point where I need to figure out my next steps. This has been great, but I want something more, more quickly. So I think that I then spent the next decade just figuring out what, what do I think I really want to do. Right, so I, I have accumulated these skill sets. How do I really want to use it in a way that it pays well and makes me happy? You know, so those two factors are like very important to me. If it's not paying well, I'm constantly worried. Um, I don't I don't want to be doing that, you know. So so that's what I then spend the, the, my fet is doing essentially. So I went back into the PhD program. I hadn't applied to, I'd applied to a PhD a long time ago. Um, but then I started to take it more seriously and, and I turned 30 because I figured, you know, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? So, and I also realized that the, the shortcuts I wanted to take were not really going to work out in the end. I thought that, you know, I could, I already knew a lot of things that I was going to learn in PhD. I might as well skip it, right? Um, but I realized around that time that uh, the PhD is more than just the knowledge. It's also a signal, right? So I figured that I needed it for that signal. So I then applied to it and got in and then spent my 30s doing the PhD. And I finished, you know, um, mm-hmm. the PhD like towards the middle of my 30s was like, middle late 30s um yeah so so just just because you should um yeah just before you go on about phds yeah so yeah (laughs) 
funny thing. I think this is the first time I'm saying it openly, and I don't even know if I'm saying it. But somehow, like somewhere in my head, I've actually been thinking about, oh, it would be nice to have a PhD. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's not something in my short term plan. Yeah. So it's more like, oh my God, I'll probably be where starting. Does it fit? Yeah, it's like, yeah. where does it fit? And yeah. when would I potentially start it? Obviously, I'm going to be 30 this year. So it's like, and I don't plan to start it anytime within the next three or so years. So that means yeah. starting it, it would likely be somewhere mid 30s. And yeah. it's like, do you know if you're going to get in the very first try? Right. So, uh, yeah. So there are two things you mentioned about. So, first, um, you started after your third, like after you turned 30. I'm not sure. You didn't say specifically when after you turned 30. So, first, I know there's a lot of, you just see people, oh, a 27 year old PhD graduate. <laughs> And you're yeah, like, yeah. at this my old age, I just want to learn It's yeah. like, oh my. And I think the other thing you mentioned about having the skill sets, but then the PhD being is signaling. So, in some sense, it's like, do you really, really need to like go through that route? So, so it's like it's three or how many years? I think sometimes about three, sometimes it could be much longer. So, yeah, do you really have to go? to that out so I don't know, do the PhD. So those are like two questions. Yeah. So first of all, let, let's take the age. Um, there were in my PhD class, so my PhD class was about 40 of us. And in that, there were a few people who are under 30s. So maybe about half of the class was under 30. But really the bulk of the class were in their early 30s. You know, um, and we had people who were even older. So I think we had a lady who was likely maybe in her 50s, something like that. Wow. Yeah, and she was was starting a PhD. The thing about doing a PhD is, regardless of the age when you do it, right, you're bringing your whole self to it. You have experience that you've gathered from your previous life, and so you're able to bring that to the program, you know, and that usually reflects. Because it, it reflects in the kinds of research questions they're asking, in how you apply the questions. And everybody, every student in the PhD program is completely different. You know, so regardless, I mean, whenever you think you're ready, I think that's okay. Age is not a barrier, frankly. You know, um, it, it's going to influence how you work, it's going to influence whether your brain is as sharp as you want it to be, you know, um, because. Because, I mean, as we grow older and we start having responsibilities, as we start having distractions, we think that we are still the same person who was top of their class in uh, secondary school, you know, but not, right? It it definitely reflects. But the reality is that you bring other parts of you that age has added onto you that makes it all, that makes it so much, so much better. So that's, that's as far as age is concerned. And the other question was, uh, what was the other question? Yeah, yeah do we need it. You really yeah, need yeah. it. You yeah. have the skills, like, do you really need to go that route? Yeah, I think it depends on what you want to do with it, frankly. Um, so when I was deciding to do the PhD, I thought that I was going to become a professor, you know. So I had started applying to research, to roles, academic roles where I could teach. And almost every time I got pushed back and someone would say to me, you know, um, you have all this 
papers, you have all this experience. Why don't you just do the PhD and get it out of the way? Like, I mean, people who are supposed to be interviewing me for jobs, right? For academic faculty roles. Um, I applied to a, a fellowship one time and the reviewer said to me, you know, or reviewer wrote in, in their notes that I don't know why this guy hasn't just gone and gotten his PhD. You see, so the, that, those were like clear feedbacks that I got that signaled to me that if you think you want to do acad academia, you can't get around it, you know, whoever, regardless of what you think you are, you know. So, so that's why I then ultimately decided to do the PhD. Now, I'm no longer in academia, and, but I still find the PhD to be immensely useful in my current role in industry, right? It's partly because there are now so many people who are PhDs who now work in industry. And so people are looking for someone that they can trust, someone that they can respect. I mean, if you think about if your manager is a PhD holder or your manager is a neurology consultant, you know, uh, who also has a fellowship in uh, sleep medicine, for instance, you know, um, and you have a PhD in something, there is, it's almost like you're able to respect each other as peers. There's greater trust, you know, and that's kind of like what I've found from my experience in the industry. Um, I have, I, I didn't work in industry without a PhD, so I don't know what the counterfactual would be, but I have found that, you know, the fact that I introduced myself as, uh, or people know that I have a PhD, it reflects in how, I mean, it reflects in even working for the company, customer interactions, you know, um, where I'm, and my customer typically, these are like MDs on the field who have research questions that we're talking about or who, you know, typically research questions. So knowing that I have a PhD, it puts them at ease, it helps them to ask questions and get answers. And when I push back on, certain things they're trying to do and say, oh, I don't think that's going to work because you can provide the evidence. So even if you have the stuff, right, people also want to know that you have the requisite training for them to be able to trust you with their life's work. You see what I mean? So Yeah. So um, for instance, being in industry now, would you say maybe a PhD versus an MBA, which, which would be more... I don't know yeah. which would be more valuable. I don't know if they are on the same scale or you know, industry is I think very, you get my question. I do get your question. Industry is very wide, right? So there's multiple different roles. So it really depends on the specific role that you're working in. So for instance, I work in medical affairs and a lot of what I do, um, an MBA would not put you at any significant advantage. Now if in the next few years I start looking at maybe executive roles, like maybe C-suite or something like that, um, an MBA might make a lot of difference in that regard. You see what I mean? So, but now at this point in time, the MBA makes no difference at all. Now, when I was working, previously I used to work in HUR, which is Health Economics and Outcomes Research. And, and so I worked closely with colleagues in market access. Now, market access folks tend to have MBAs. Some HUR folks also have MBAs. And in that space, an MBA tends to be more useful 
you know, um, not necessarily more than a PhD, but an MBA sets you apart, especially in market access, an MBA is infinitely more than a PhD. You know, uh, it sets you apart, you know, you know the language, that this is what's most important, right? You know the language of, of, of business. Um, if you can learn that language as a PhD holder, you might be able to get around not having an MBA, but I think an MBA is useful in that space. So it, it's, there's no like one size fits all. It really depends on exactly what are you doing in industry, right? So if you're working in, mark, in medical affairs and clinical development, which are like research roles or safety, which are like research roles, you don't really need an MBA. You're better off doing a PhD, which is also research training. But if you're hoping to work in commercial, in, in marketing, in medical affairs, in, mar in market access, right? Or in functions that are kind of like that, then, um, then an MBA makes more sense. There's another role that I think I've actually been fascinated by, which is product leadership. It's kind of like product management. Um, that sounds like tech. Yeah. So, so I used to work at a company that would have for each drug they are developing, they will have a product leader, and that product mm -hmm. leader is like the CEO of the product, right? Um, they will be expected to bring together experiences in research in commercial, in marketing, in, you know, they, they should be able to wear many hats, right? Would this person typically have like lab competencies and stuff? They should be able to speak to lab people. They're not going to be responsible for doing the work mm. all across board, but you should be able to read a paper published in Nature or Cell and be able to understand it, right? And be able to read a paper published in the Lancet looking at maybe modeling the economic outcomes of something and be able to understand or, ask, or at least ask intelligent questions, right? So this, this role will require breadth of experiences. And the kinds of people that I've found doing that role have varied from PhDs to MBAs, you know. Um, it's the kind of role where you, you're not likely to ever be fully prepared. You have to, I mean, by your degree, that is, you have to do something else to reach out and learn and say, okay, I think I have a PhD, but I need to be able to speak business language or business. I need to be able to understand commercial. And so maybe a rotation would help or maybe take some courses um, or have an MBA. And, I, and I'm, I'm an MBA and an MD like you, you know, so, uh, and I want to be able to um, understand research in more detail. And so maybe a rotation through clinical development or something like that would help. So anyway, so that's the fascinating thing about job development uh, and careers. Mm. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot. I know we deviated a bit, but um, <laughs> so what we're talking about. So um, we're talking about thesis and how, how it works for you. So is there any other not is and say like are there say goals that you had or things you plan to do before 30 at the time or should I say before 30 or before 40 now because you've crossed mm. well, of but course, yeah, yeah let's yeah let's start with 30 like do you um thinking back to like your 20s are there things that you're like oh I need to achieve 
by Tetsi and do you think in your Tetsi's realized maybe those things were not as important as let me not preempt you but yeah yeah, yeah so I think that as a 20 year old the life that I envisioned for myself is completely different from what I'm living today um I thought that I would um be a clinician you know I didn't leave medical school thinking oh I would never want to see patients like most people. Um, I left medical school thinking that I would be a surgeon. Uh, and I thought I, I had decent great grades in surgery. I liked being in theater. Uh, but I also was comfortable with public health and statistics. And so, you know, um, so I thought that I would go to maybe USMLEs um, and apply to uh to residency right but i that that's not what i ended up doing you know so that's one way that my life just completely became different uh so there, there are probably other goals so for instance financial you know i had thought that by the time i be, became 40 year old for instance i would have uh 10 houses uh wait are you wait sorry when you say 10 ounces, are you serious about 10 ounces or you just picked a number? No, 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 I'm serious. I thought that maybe by now, by the time I'm 40, I would have a million dollars stuck somewhere. Um, wow. You know, you so, <laughs> you know, so, um, so I, I, I had like sort of structured uh, way of thinking about my goals. So I had like goals in, uh, financial, right? I had goals in uh, politics. Like I kind of thought that I would, I've always thought that maybe I would be a politician in some way, you know, but um, but stepping out of Nigeria kind of completely changed that, you know, because when you go to a new country and you're living the life of an immigrant, that's not your problem. You're not even thinking about that. First of all, you have to settle and that's not even the space where you're thinking. That's not the space where you grew up looking at problems and thinking about solutions, you know. Um, so that's politics, but at least social. I thought I was hoping that at least, you know, you you want to live life um, having had some meaningful impact on the world, right? So that yeah. that's harder to measure. But I, I always hope that at least there will be some increment and I'll say, okay, when I was 30, this is how much I was able to impact. Now that I'm 40, this is how much I'm able to impact. And then by the time I'm 50, this is so that by the time I'm 70 year old and retiring or whatever, I can look back and say, okay, I live a good life. So that's in terms of social impact, you know. Um, and then there is like um, physical goals, right? Like um being fit and all that you know so this is something that everybody's thinking about today um i used to be a karate i mentioned at the beginning i thought that mm -hmm. i will go on so i started karate in medical school it wasn't something that i always did um uh, so in med medical school as i was i thought oh maybe i will become a black belt and and then go on and on you know like all the additional stages beyond the black belt but never happened. Um, 
not that I didn't have the opportunities when I arrived in Boston. I remember I looked out for karate clubs and I figured out where I could go, but I didn't find the motivation to go, you know. So that's how that completely fell off. Um, so, yeah, so those are, those are the kind of goals that I had. Um, a lot of them unachieved, you know, but, uh, but again, I think that when, when I now look at where I currently am, I'm grateful for all that I have, you know, and all that I've achieved, and I'm excited about the future. Mm-hmm. That that's great. But I, I'm still I don't know if the word is mesmerized by <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm the one that is thinking small, but like ten houses, I think I'm the one thinking small. I need to start thinking big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I think. So you did mention, you've talked about like how 30s have been generally. And so there's this question I've been asking everyone that has come on the podcast. And question is, how did you celebrate your 30th birthday? I did not celebrate it. Um, (laughs) I, I, um, I don't usually celebrate birthdays. I mean, so I will like Mm -hmm. post on social media um happy birthday happy birthday spend time with family increasingly maybe i will go out sometimes very rarely with the family um but usually i yeah it's i, I can't even remember this it's not which probably means that i didn't even do anything special so is that is that like a is it a personal thing or is it a religious thing or is no. it it's not religious, definitely. Um, it's more like a culture that I never. It's, it's just who, what I, how I've always lived my life. I don't typically celebrate birthdays. Um, I remember one time uh, when I was a kid. I think that I was going to be nine. Is it nine or seven? I don't remember the exactly, but. I was a kid. It was before primary school days, and I, I had my birthday coming, and my parents were going to celebrate the birthday for me. It was going to be like a party, right? This was not usual. It was big deal. And then my mom took ill. You know, she had to have surgery. It became like, um, so, this, the birthday was completely cancelled. Like was off the table, you know. But. For some reason, maybe I still have some trauma of that birthday. <laughs> I don't know. Because like you're saying, handing out um, cards to your friends and then you had to say, oh, no, we're not. It's no longer happening, that kind of thing. Um, but since then, I think I've not really taken birthdays as seriously. In general, I will be grateful and maybe... It might be a solemn moment where I'm thinking about the future, thinking about, about the past, and just being grateful and prayerful. Sometimes I would fast. Um, wow. And yeah. But the other now, so now that I'm a parent, I have kids, uh, my wife's birthday is a few days before mine, you know. So what that has done is that it has completely stolen my birthday away from me. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, so what happened is that her birthday comes and it's a big celebration in the house, right? And the kids, everybody's excited. We go out. You know, you you might say oh, we're going to celebrate the birthday of dad and mom's birthdays together, but it's not quite like that. In the end, it's really her birthday you're celebrating, and then my birthday comes, and it's just ordinary. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it's it's like maybe four days in between. So it's, it's hardly enough time for you to yeah, pr- plan another thing. Exactly. So, but I think it's also because I don't take birthdays as seriously. If not, maybe. I would have been more. You would have found, probably found yeah. the way around exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. I was a bit, I don't know, should I say taken aback by the fact that you did a celebrity? And I don't know, that's because for me, myself, I don't, I have not always been a very big birthday person, like at least years ago i didn't yeah. used to be a very big birthday person and um, i think in secondary school i remember just one or two times when my mom my mom actually is i'm giving her a shout out here like she she actually did really try because then i i was in a janikin yeah you went oh. to janikin as well yeah <laughs> and she would come all the way or maybe with my aunt's and bring a cake and drinks. And I'm like, how are you coming all the way from maybe Ogun State or wherever it is oh. that she was and just bring a cake and, oh, and that, that was really it. But it, it used to be nice. I think it's just in the past two or so years that I've been carrying my birthday on my head. Like, <laughs> it's really nice to be honest. And I think I'll just ride the wave for as long as it stays until, I don't know. No, I think it's good. I think it's good to celebrate. Um, yeah, I think it's good to celebrate. It helps you to remind yourself of what's important, you know, um, and what and helps to focus for the future. You know, that, that, that's how I think about about it. And so, even though I'm not like actively celebrating, as, you know, um, I'm I'm still taking kind of like acknowledging it at the very least, even if there's like actual full-on celebration. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And and this, I think, in so at my forty, I celebrated by going to Hajj. You know, so um, so that was kind of different in that way because that's probably the biggest celebration now I've ever had. Really, you know. but yeah, it was good for me, uh, and I, I enjoyed that as well. Yeah, that really seems like a really good celebration in some sense, because like just keeps you grounded somehow. Yeah, and yeah, and so what what lessons would I call them lessons now? But what would you say from your looking back now at your thirties and? say we can look for that to 20s as well what are those things that maybe you wish you knew um like you things like you just be like oh i wish someone had told me this or even if not wishing someone had told you probably in your own personal experience you're like oh it would be nice if 20 year olds or 30 something year olds know this it would help shape their lives better it's help them maybe stay more grounded do you have like a few maybe one or so just before yeah so i think one thing that immediately comes to mind is this 
um, typically when you think of yourself as a smart person, but one who is always willing to take in information um, from others and weigh it carefully, but also who tends to respect authority figures, right? There is a tendency for you to hear what others, other people say, people who you respect, and allow it to guide you to such an extent where you completely jettison your own initial plans. So the reason why I'm saying that is when I left medical school, I thought that I will do surgery and do public health. So I wanted to do residency surgery and do a PhD in public health, right? Um, I already had like, I had this particular degree program at Harvard that I wanted to do um, and then also do the residency. Now, when I spoke with, um, when I spoke with one of my professors at some point, when I first got here to the US about my idea, he was like, ah, he has never seen anybody do that. He doesn't think it could work. It seems to involve. And this person was a medical doctor himself, you know, uh, from another an country. Immigrant? Yeah. Oh. yeah, he was an immigrant as well, you know. Um, so he, at the time, he was an assistant professor at Harvard, right? So I spoke with him, and he said, oh, he doesn't think it was, it's going to work. He thinks that that's just too much. He doesn't think it's necessary. These are like completely different careers. It was not the first time someone was saying it to me. So that person was working in public health, and he said that. And he had lived in the U.S., right? But before I left home, I had spoken with, with one of my professors in Nigeria as well. Um, he was a, a surgeon. You know, that this is what I think I really want to do. Uh, I really like statistics and public health. And I think that <clears throat> I am able to, this is a space where I'm able to excel and be one of the best, so to speak. But I also really like surgery. So I want to be able to do both. And so he thought, he wasn't sure that it made sense. You know, why don't you just focus and just choose one, you know? Um, and whichever one you choose, I remember him saying at the time that as long as it's not in Nigeria, you'll be fine. You know, so, uh, and this was what, 2009, 2008. So, um, so hearing that at home in Nigeria and then hearing it in the US from two authority figures was one of the key factors that kind of led me to choose technically choose one or allow opportunities and nature and everything to choose one for me. And I feel like in retrospect, I should have fought more for <clears throat> my decision or my preference to do both. And the reason why I think that now is in 2009, when I was speaking, there were very few people who are doing, who are doing what I'm talking about now, right? But today, there's so many more people who are doing exactly what I'm talking about. Right? It's almost like then I had an idea. I'd never seen it anywhere. But it made so much sense to me. But it didn't make sense to the people around me. Mm -hmm. you know. And I should have fought for myself, 
my um I should have fought for the superiority of my ideas. This is what I mean. Yeah. As opposed to hear others and think, oh, these are more experienced people, they're wiser. So it's 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 a tricky thing in the sense that older people are often wiser, they have experience, you know, and they can often see that some things are not going to work. But there's also the flip side that older people can only speak from their own experiences. They, their experience is limited in some way and their creativity is also limited to their experience. This is what I mean. Like, it's almost mm-hmm. like if you're laying an idea before them, they might not see what you're seeing. Now, how do you strike that balance? Yeah, of, that, that was going to be my next question. Like, how do you yes, balance? Yeah, like, so... I don't know, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think that it, it's tough figuring out when to completely trust older people versus when to go with your gut and say, this is what I want to do, it's going to work, you know. Um, yeah, um, I think there have been periods when I have completely ignored what older people say and it's worked out and some of those periods have been periods when myself I had then acquired more information about it beyond what they know so I sort of like spoken with other different people so like instead of those two people uh, I, I may have gone outside that sphere of interaction and spoken with other people uh, and maybe I might have more clarity on what makes more sense and I would be able to better take a more informed I'll be able to take a more informed decision. You know, like for instance, um in going to industry, you know, there's the constant question of <laughs> should I go to industry first or go to academia first and then go back to industry? Right? So for someone who thinks that you will want to become a professor but you want to go to industry, how do you sequence it? Should I go to academia first and then go to industry? Or should I go to industry first and then go to academia, right? And I spoke with a bunch of, um, a number of people and they had different ideas. And almost all the time, the ideas that they advocated for reflected the lives that they lived, right? Mm -hmm. So my uh, senior colleagues in industry who are PhDs will say, oh, you know, it makes more sense to go to industry first. And then when you're older, you can find a teaching position. And, you know, you, you will be more comfortable financially. You'll be able to live a better life. And then whatever you earn from industry, from academia, what makes one matter. And you will be a more experienced person. You'll be bringing value from the field. If you speak with people from academia, they will tell you, oh, you know, you can go to industry anytime. And if you go there as a senior person, you're a professor, there'll be respect and space for you. Um, you can figure out whatever you want at that time. The doors will always be open. Right? And ultimately, the way that I made, made, made my decision was to ask myself, what do I need now? You know, um, prioritize the present. You know, don't be too focused on what's going to happen 20 years from now. 
but what do I need in the immediate term, the next one to five years? What do I need to be doing? What do I need? What kind of resources do I need? Where do I want to be? And then just take it from there, you know, and then allow the future to figure out itself. So, yeah, so mm-hmm. it's hard to know when to go against older people, but maybe getting more information about the issue might be one thing. Mm-hmm. I, I think I agree with that. And um, I think there's something that has just been everywhere around me recently. Um, the summary of it is, like life is just full of risk and sometimes you just have to leap without fully knowing what you're getting into and i think we just we see that around like a lot so sometimes it's maybe maybe joining this startup that looks very promising and before you know it's a fact up yeah and sometimes you join a startup and you have some of the um, early phase employees and you get vested and before you know it you are a millionaire in dollars yeah. but it's yeah. like who knows which one is going to fail or which one is going to succeed it's in retrospect that people keep saying oh the signs were there but the signs are almost always there for people because <laughs> yeah. like, when you're yeah. looking back it's like oh the signs were there or something yeah. but it's in retrospect that some decisions make sense although yeah there are some decisions that from just looking at it it's kind of obvious sometimes but yeah. i think the, the critical decisions in life generally are not always very obvious especially when there are no like clear like when two decisions can have the same or very similar outcomes. Maybe like, for instance, maybe choosing the specialty that someone one wants to specialize in. But yeah, I'm not the one giving advice to the <laughs> coming from here. Uh, so um, yeah, you mentioned this. Um, is any other thing that comes? Um, I guess it's also part of what I said, which is, which is that take life one step at a time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't always figure out the, the full um, the full spectrum of what you want, or you can't always predict too far into the future. But at least make sure that today is working, you know, and tomorrow will take care of itself, right? Um, as a younger person, I was always focused on the future, mm-hmm. you know, and and constantly thinking about. What skills should I be getting? How should I, where should I be? What should I be doing? But the problem with that, I mean, that's good in the sense that it helps you to prepare. But if you are too focused on that, then you're not enjoying today, mm. right? Like, and, and you're just going through the motions, preparing for a future that might never come, right? And I think that that's, that's a tragedy in the sense that uh, who knows whether you're going to live that long, you know. So, so it's important to not sacrifice today completely for tomorrow. Like, there, there has to be a sort of balance where you're not completely losing yourself today while you're preparing for tomorrow. It's important to prepare for tomorrow, but you, sh- you can't afford to completely lose yourself. You, you need to enjoy today and... Uh, Take it all in, be happy, spend time with friends and family. Uh, and and then, you know, and then just hope for the best. Uh, and, and do your best as well. 
Yeah, so that, mm-hmm. that's what I mean, I think. I think that people who are dreaming, a lot of us tend to be extremely focused on what we're prepared for tomorrow without thinking about today. But tomorrow, today is more, very likely going to determine the outcome for tomorrow. You know, and it's mm-hmm. not just in skills. It's also in health. You know, it's also in experiences, you know, like, you're the one who has been traveling all over the world, you know. So, so I'm sure you have all the experience with that. Oh, wow. <laughs> you have all the experiences, you know, that mm. would likely inform how you're going to live life in the future. And today, those experiences feel like, well, I'm enjoying myself, right? Mm. But there's a lot of learning that happens on travel. Right? Yeah, Some of which you can't even you can't even explain, right? Like you can't even say, well, I learned this, or you can't even say, this is where I learned this from, and this is how it's going to be useful to me. Mm-hmm. But, but it certainly is going to be useful on some level without you realizing mm-hmm. it. So yeah, to so think carefully mm-hmm. about today, that's, that's, um, that's the other thing. Right. So actually, since we started, I've been trying to think of what would I, um, what would, be the title of this episode and I think there's just been a lot of talk around balance like finding that balance between planning for tomorrow living today taking advice and following your gods doing your research and all of that so yeah um, yeah I think that's all from me um, thank you so so much I know this was I think very very impromptu really to be fair because yeah it's just like how many days ago did i reach out but thank you so much for taking out the time don't know if you have any other thing you want to say just before we go no i just to say mm-hmm. thank you very much for inviting me um it's always fun talking to you and uh, yeah mm-hmm. uh, looking forward to hearing how this you know in, in... yeah yeah, yeah. Thank you again and have a lovely rest of your day. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. It's okay. Bye.